beautiful people, and welcome to Unlocked, a podcast focusing on all mental health and identity-related topics through the Caribbean lens. I'm your host, Audrey Augustov, Haitian-American and licensed counselor. everybody i have a question are you like me are you in awe of what writers do how they evoke emotions in us we didn't know we had long since buried how they create a scenery in our heads where we get to escape to a world beyond our wildest imaginations i often think about writers or better yet storytelling in episode four of unlocked i sat down with my dear friend amanda alcantara a Dominican-American writer and journalist. In 2019, she published her first book of short stories titled Chula. Her creative writing and journalistic work has been featured in the anthology Latinas, Struggles and Protests in 21st Century USA, the poetry anthology Latinext, and several media publications such as Latino USA, Remezcla, Afrofeminas, the San Francisco Chronicles, and more. She is also a co-founder and previous editor of La Galeria magazine. In this episode, I sat down with Amanda, a Libra who loves exploring nature and being close to the sea, to talk to her about her evolution as a writer, highlighting political encounters, intentional expression of womanhood, and writing with integrity. Amanda doesn't hold back. Take a listen. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Audrey. What's up? I'm pretty good. Um, one of my approaches to my podcast is I always like to give like a real feeling word to how I'm feeling for the day to start off. Um, I think today I'm feeling pretty focused. I was very productive, but you know, how, like sometimes productivity is just like acting like a machine. I feel like today my productivity was very focused, very intentional. So I feel good about like how much work I put into being productive today. How are you? I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of artsy today. Oh, I feel like I got up today. It's a rainy day here, and I I have a deadline tomorrow for a short story that I want to submit. So I spent the whole day writing, and it was a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. I feel like, you know, I just, I feel like my creative juices are flowing. Ooh, I see that in just like your vibe and your energy. You seem uh, <laughs> artistically. In tuned. <laughs> uh, we're going to just jump right in. So I just want to start by asking you to like maybe paint us a picture of your life right now, right? Because I feel like there are a lot of recent changes just as far as where you're currently located and the work that you do. And I think that the nature of the setup in your lifestyle is a big precursor to how you're functioning as a writer. So can you paint us a picture of like how you're functioning, how it ended up that way? Yeah, so I moved to the Dominican Republic, specifically to Cabarete. Um, it's a town in, like the north part of Dominican Republic by the beach. I moved here at the end of September for my 30th birthday. And it's been interesting to adjust to having no set schedule. But basically, I get up in the morning, 
On some days I go surfing, which is like something new that I'm learning and that I'm doing. And then I come back and I am a freelance writer right now for this media company called iPonder. So I work on one story for them per week. And I write. I've been writing a lot of poetry. I've been writing short stories. I've been doing a lot of meditation. I've been doing yoga. I've been watching anime a lot. And it feels like a time where I'm, I'm really introspective and kind of learning about myself and healing a lot. Like mm. it's, it feels like a purge almost. Can you take me to the emotional shift of going from living in New York and working for NPR and transitioning to DR and doing more freelance? It sounds like the writing that you do is more like it's more like connected to your soul almost. <laughs> so where, how is that emotional shift going for you? Yeah, it's been, it's been crazy because when I moved here, so I moved here because of the pandemic and because we were in quarantine in New York City, we were in isolation. And when I realized I was gonna spend a winter in a tiny apartment in New York by myself, I was like, no, I'm not gonna survive this. And the only place where I could go that I felt like I had space, that I felt like it was financially possible within my budget <laughs> was to, to come to the Dominican Republic. Um, so that's really why I came. And it feels like it's been very emotional because I don't have the usual, what do you call it? I don't have the usual things that I would have in New York City that would kind of push down all of the emotions, right? That would make me ignore, let's say, the, the, the isolation that we're going through right now, that would make me ignore the moment that we're going through right now. So I don't have seamless, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't have, um, my family uh, is, is not here. I mean, I do have family here, but they're not in this town. And I basically just had to be more in tune with, with my body. It's almost like I feel like here in Dominican Republic, I have to be more in my body, whereas in New York City, it was more like in my head, you know? Mm. And I mean, I don't know if, if you feel what I'm saying, because I know like for you, you are in Haiti right now. I'm wondering if maybe you get the same feeling. I'm actually not in Haiti. I'm in the States. But I did. Oh, why did I think you were in Haiti? <laughs> I don't know. But I did have like a very recent experience. Hell? I was recently in Costa Rica, right? And I so and I took like like about a month in Costa Rica, and I did have that similar kind of. It's everything that changes your relationship with functioning. Because I was working out there, I was still doing you know seating clients and doing sessions, and like how I connected and resonated with clients was very different because I was very. In a, in a place that was more connected to earth and even in what I'm eating and like yes. what, the fact that I'm walking everywhere instead of, you know, driving. And there's something about even like my downtime, right? My downtime wasn't filled with like, let me, let me do Netflix. It was like literally me laying on a hammock and not doing anything, but just laying on a hammock and, I don't possess the ability to distract myself from myself in the same way. And the quiet is significantly more quiet, but then it's also louder because you're more in attuned to yourself. 
And so what that means for like my creative spaces, so like what I'm doing with this podcast was very different as far as like how I produce work, right? And so, you know, with that, I'm wondering if you if there is something very particular in your experience because the soil that you're on is your homeland, right? About what it brings out in you and what that means for your writing. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy because I feel like being here, I feel more unapologetic about who I am. I feel like I'm I'm almost like vindictive in in how or like I have more um I feel more affirmed in terms of who I am and how I move about the world. I feel like I want to be louder here. I feel like I want to be sexier here. Mm. I feel like I want to be more of who I am. And you know, when when 2021 started, my my only goal or my only intention for the year was to be more bold or to be bold, period. And it's because here I feel like even as maybe the people around me don't necessarily approve of like me being single or the lifestyle that I lead, like there's just a lot of things that people here don't really affirm me in. I also feel safer here, like in this land and touching this earth that's here. And it's been super interesting to kind of see that, to see how you know, because people don't want me to be this way, I kind of want to be this way a little more. And I think that has been that has been really beautiful. I think since I got here, I've also learned a lot about how I've also learned a lot about emotional intelligence and how in New York City, we really just take emotional intelligence to such a high level that it almost makes it difficult to connect with people because you're like afraid of saying the wrong thing. Mm. You're afraid of like not being the perfect listener. You're afraid of, of, it's almost like we're correlating now emotional intelligence with being problematic, like lack of emotional intelligence with being problematic. And it's just super interesting because, you know, we're having these conversations at the same time as people want to be in community. And yet it is here where I see community and where I, I experience community and people don't have like the same quote unquote emotional intelligence as the one that's being touted in the US, but then they are emotionally intelligent in other ways. I don't know if I'm making sense. You're making perfect sense. I don't even know how to reflect what you're saying back to you because it is this kind of it's 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 a very strange kind of concept. Um, but I'm wondering, like, how, how does yeah. that show up in your writing, though, specifically? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me hold on. I just want to give like one perfect example, right? So let's say, let's say you have a friend who is not a good listener. I feel like in the US, right? Or at least like, you know, in the spaces that I was in, like, you know, we're talking about like activist spaces, New York City, etc. That person would be slowly like not invited to things. That person would be labeled as like not being emotionally intelligent. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, I feel like you would just tell the person, like you would just tell them, like you are not a good listener. Like here, like people actually are doing the work to call each other out without discarding one another. 
Yeah. Especially because you're going to see the person anyway. Like it's a small town. You're going to keep seeing each other over and over. That's very true. Yeah. That's very and true. yeah. And I mean, the way that, that all of this shows up in my writing is, it's very interesting because I came here thinking that I was going to write this novel and I had the idea for this novel and I know I'm still going to write it. Um, and ever since I got here, I noticed instead like this, I felt this desire to just write so many of the stories that I've been told in my family. I felt this desire to, to write what I'm feeling emotionally and to put it into like all of these characters that I'm writing and to write my own truth, to write about myself too, in a way that is magical, right? Like in a way that is, that is grounded, but that also has like this mysticism to it. And it's no longer a novel. Now it's a collection of short stories. Okay. <laughs> Which is interesting. Yeah, because that's, that's exactly what happened with the first book where I was like, I want to write this. And then once I got to the, the nitty gritty of it, it's like, no, this is what you're writing. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. Why do you always want to write this other thing? And I feel like I'm kind of going through the same process. Um, but also as a writer, other writers have that same trajectory where first you write like short stories and you write a lot of short stories before you take on the novel, before you take on, you know, a big 300 page story. Right, right. Can I just say yeah. very candidly that I've seen you tweet, right? I've seen you tweet and some of what you tweet is, you know, in a way, it gives me a peek into where you are emotionally and what that might mean about your writing, right? And uh, and I think about the fact that like a modern day creative person, uh, because they have all of these channels that they're being plugged into, you know, Instagram, Facebook, you know, YouTube, Twitter, that there's, it's like they're fragmenting pieces of their create creativity through these different social media channels. And it almost, in my brain, at least I could speak for myself, I feel like it keeps me from creating my masterful work because I, I, I give away like little pieces of the gems in these insignificant spaces like a Twitter where like actually nobody's even paying attention to anything that I'm saying. And so can you talk to me about the relationship between effective writing and channeling your creativity and how what that means about like limiting how you communicate and connect in social media, if that even affects you at all. That affects me so much, so much. And I, I love how you posed the question because that's, that's a conundrum that I have daily. And I feel like I don't actually tweet my best tweets. My mm -hmm. best tweets stay in my drafts or get deleted. Sometimes I tweet them and I delete them. Because I'm like, no, this is worthy of your book. This is worthy of your novel. This is worthy of uh, a journalism piece. I don't want it to get lost in the world of Twitter. And I don't want it to be dissected by Twitter either sometimes. You know, I feel like there's something about Twitter where people are just reacting all the time. Whereas when you're sitting at home, you're reading a book you you ingest it in a different way mm -hmm. before you're like oh this is making me feel x y and z so this is something that i think about all the time you know and and this year i really thought about my social media strategy a little bit more because i also do feel like there are some things that i write 
that feel urgent. Like there are some poems that I'm like, yo, I have these poems in my notebook. Are they ever going to see the light of day? Like, am I always going to keep waiting until I put out a collection? Why not just start sharing them on social media? You know, so when it comes to my Instagram, I'm way more intentional than Twitter. <laughs> Twitter for me is just fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's messy. It's cute. It's 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 a lot of fun. With Instagram, I have been more intentional. I have tried to be more artsy. I feel like on Instagram, I'm also putting on a bit of a, a persona. And I feel like I get to have fun with different characters. And some of these characters show up in my writing later, mm. you know? So I just wrote a story about a woman who like lives in the woods and is connected to the woods. And, you know, she dresses in black. And this is something that she does from when she was a little girl, right? Like she listens to the spirit of the woods. And I feel like, in dressing up as that woman and like trying to have fun with it, I can kind of get more in tune with the character. Like one tiny detail, right? She would probably walk barefoot in the woods. And I hate walking barefoot in the woods because you know, it hurts. But those are little things that you can like write in the story if you do them, right? Like all oh, the crunching of the leaves mm -hmm. or, you know, the way that it smells, right? She bugs no longer itch her even though I'm like dying here <laughs> being bitten by all these bugs so it, it, with Instagram I definitely am having way more fun I'm having way more fun with my characters and I also feel like I'm giving a little sneak peek into how I'm writing more sci-fi now I'm trying to write uh more like magical stories now I feel like I'm like if I ever ask myself like what would happen if this woman is being attacked and she just flew away. Like <laughs> she was able to fly out of the situation. And in my book, I get to do that. Like in my, you know, in creative writing, I get to do that. Like what would happen if she suddenly gets this crazy amount of strength and just flies off and the attackers and everybody are like, holy shit, what the fuck? This woman is flying. <laughs> like you get to do that when you're writing. You get to do that when you're writing creatively. So I am having a lot of fun and I do feel like it is because I'm very emotionally in tune with myself here. And I'm also more spiritually in tune with myself here. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to just, to push, you know, to push the envelope and to push my stories a little more. Like why, why does she have to be confined by, by reality? Right. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 this is a interesting. There's a duality to sitting down and talking with you because uh, you're actually my friend in life, and you know I still get to observe you from a third party experience because it's not like I I talk to you very consistently. So sometimes I get to watch your evolution as a human being before I'm, I'm living it, you know, in the flesh. So watching your career evolve has been interesting because i've seen you reinvent your image i don't want to say even reinvent because like reinvent is almost like a way of saying that what was no longer is but it, i i don't it doesn't feel like that's what happens so much as it is giving oneself the opportunity to be more than just one face right and so it sounds like there is this mystical component to your what you're evolving into now that I do want to talk about, but 
I do want to look back at what I what I identify as one of the first times that I saw you really kind of blow up, which is when you were embodying the radical Latina persona. And at the time you were, you know, political and opinionated about everything. And it was a very interesting time uh, in your career. And so can, can you talk to me about that experience and why that doesn't seem to carry the forefront of your image now? Yeah, I think I think when you're younger, you're able to carry a lot more than as you start. I mean, granted, I'm 30 years old, but you know, when you're like in your early 20s, one, you you're able to carry a lot more. Like you you're learning things for the first time, so you're able to carry a lot more anger, you're able to carry a lot more energy, and you're able to carry just a lot more of of what the world is feeling in the moment, like the pulse of the moment, you know, you, you can carry it with you and you can kind of put all your energy into it and say like, you know, scream and yell and say, this is wrong, this is not okay. And I think that's that's what, what was happening to me at the time, you know? So when I was in my early twenties to mid twenties, I, I was unlearning a lot. I was unlearning, you know, as a Dominican woman, I was unlearning a lot about anti-blackness and I was learning a lot about my own blackness and how I moved to the world. A lot of things like clicked and made sense. I I became a communist. I was a <laughs> communist and I, I, I was angry at the world. I was angry at capitalism. Granted, I still am, right? But when you're first learning about all these things, I felt like I also moved as if there were so many possibilities for freedom for everybody, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember at the time I would meet people who are my age now or who were older and who would kind of be so negative. I would be like, why do you think this is impossible? Why don't you think communism is possible? Or why don't you think, you know, a complete overhaul of government and revolution is possible? And they were always like, it was, it just wasn't realistic. You have to think more like this or think more like that. And I would always just say like, these people are so negative. They, 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 they don't have room to dream. And then as you get older, to me, it's almost like, I don't want to say I became those people, but rather as I got older, I realized like the life of a hardcore activist is not really sustainable unless you have a system of support. And I feel like in the activism world, we don't have a system of support. We don't have a system of long-term support. And we also haven't recreated any of the things that we envision for ourselves, right? Like we haven't, you know, we, we haven't created like these community spaces where people can kind of live together. Yeah, so I think to me like that, that's a process that a lot of us have to go through. And I think that that's why, you know, I used to go uh, hard for Black Lives Matter in the street. And I mean, I still do. But at the time, like, I would protest really hard. I got arrested. And I feel like now, when you look at the protest now, it is youth who are leading it. It is, like, younger people who are leading it. So I do think it's almost like a natural progression of movements where newer people who haven't been fed reality <laughs> in a way and who haven't, who have nothing to lose almost 
and have everything to gain can, you know, take the streets and, and put in their energy while everyone else can kind of support in other ways, you know? So to me, like, I'm not out here rich, but I do try to like support, you know, with donations. And I also noticed at one point, like right before I started college, I'm sorry, right before I started my master's, that's when I was really involved with um, the movement uh, for Haitian lives in the Dominican Republic. So the movement against anti-Haitianism in Dominican Republic. And I noticed like the best way that I can contribute is through my writing and through my journalism. Like this is what I studied, this is my passion. And you can't be a journalist and an activist at the same time. I mean, I, I would argue that you can because journalism is not unbiased, but, but it's just, it, as a journalist, like that is your activism or that can be your activism, you know, to be the person that's there with the camera documenting everything. Okay. So to me, it's almost like when I was doing Radical Latina, I was younger, I had way more energy. I was unlearning a lot. And as time progressed, it's not that I left it all behind, but rather that I transformed it as I grew, you know, like I instead started doing it more as a journalist. I, I'm putting all of that energy into my writing. Right, right. And, and I, I remember when you were speaking uh, on behalf of Haitian lives in, in the Dominican Republic that this was such a hot button topic that there was actually even like threats coming your way. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first time, your first time in the DR since you were very vocal in that sense or no? No, it's it's my second time. So okay. I came while I, w I came while the attacks were happening, right? So <clears throat> so basically for some background, um, in like 2014, 2015, I was very vocal, like I was saying, you know, about that issue. And I took a photo with a T-shirt with the Haitian flag on. And to me, that was an artistic expression, but also a way of saying, as a Dominican woman, I declare myself in solidarity with Haitian immigrants and also with Haiti in terms of acknowledging our connected history, acknowledging that, you know, because of the Haitian revolution, Dominicans also saw the emancipation of slavery or the end of slavery. So to me, that moment was, was about that, right? It was about like making that statement. In 2019, when I am promoting my book, randomly, like, I mean, I don't think, I don't think anything is random in terms of like the universe, mm -hmm. but randomly I got caught up in a, a campaign against Dominicans in the US who had spoken up about this issue. And they found this photo of me with the, you know, the t-shirt with the Haitian flag. And I think they ran with it, you know, they ran with it. And when I say they, I mean these ultra-nationalist Dominican groups that basically their whole platform is that they, right, quote unquote, they, like these forces, you know, the UN and, you know, the Democrats and these liberal forces are trying to fuse the two countries together. So then when they see a woman like me, right, someone who they, someone who, 
who is light-skinned, someone who is the, the, the stereotypical image of a Dominican woman, right? So sort of like, you know what I mean, like light-skinned, ambiguous-looking, like someone who, who, who people perceive as like, you look Dominican. They saw me with this T-shirt and it was almost like, here is the example of what we mean that people are trying to fuse these two countries together. And here are the people that are leading this movement. And oh then they God. said that I was one of the people leading the movement. Yeah, so it's almost like they, they turned me into like a little uh, meme in their world. And, and this was happening at the same time that I was about to travel here for my book tour. Oh, wow. And they started targeting the book tour. They started targeting the book tour. And they started saying that they were going to come, that they, they started threatening me, that they were going to kill me, they were going to throw shit at me like I'm just I'm just saying I'm just being real like this is what the fuck was happening and that shit was scary that shit was scary I feel like I was seeing a therapist at the time and like what is a therapist gonna tell you when you tell them that a whole country is about to turn on you <laughs> you know and that a whole movement of people is did you, turning did you on you like CBT techniques what do you do <laughs> right <laughs> so then you know, I thought of canceling. I thought of canceling and I didn't because at that point it became a statement. Like I couldn't cancel because then they would win. So even though I was terrified, I could not let them win. And I also felt like, I also did feel like in a deep, in a deep place within myself that if I let them win and if I canceled, they, they were going to take my shine away from my book. And I was going to fall into a depression. Like I legit was like, I am going to want to die if I cancel. So I'd rather just go through with it. Mm -hmm. So I came here and, you know, they did interrupt the two events. Um, it was very scary, but I did it. And, you know, it was what it was. Like I, I went back to the States and yeah, this is my first time back since then. It's crazy because I never thought I would live here ever mm -hmm. because of that. And then I came here and I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to stay. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and you know, and I think one, I, I feel safe. I feel safe. I feel like I have community. Um, and two, those motherfuckers target everybody. If you're anybody <laughs> in this country, they're going to target you. Like I learned that. I learned that. Like if you are anybody in this country, they will target you. So to me, it was like, it, I don't know. I feel like it, it, it's hard because it's a very hard topic and because it was very, very scary. But I no longer feel scared because what I feel instead is emboldened. Mm. And I feel like, I feel like, I just feel like a bad bitch. I don't know how else to say it. Like, wow, I made you guys so mad. You protested me. I feel like I'm not getting paid enough. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not even famous. <laughs> Sometimes I go on their page and they have photos of me in protests that I forgot I went to. Like, it's like, really? Um, they're documenting my life more than the people on my side. Like, it's really fucking strange. Like, their obsession. So to me, I, I feel... Now I feel like that was something that was meant to happen. And I'm writing about it, you know, okay. instead of running from it, I'm, I'm writing about it. Um, 
you know, there's going to be stories related to that topic in my new book. Like, I felt like I, I ran from it when it was happening. I was terrified and, you know, rightfully so. But now I'm like, no, I have a story to tell. I have these stories to tell. And they're going to keep targeting me no matter what. Like, that's just, that's what it is. That's the reality of it. Right, right. I mean, um, I want to shift gears a little bit because you're you're talking and you have mentioned earlier uh, that you're in a place where you're drawing from your life and, and you're liter- you're telling your stories in in, in this upcoming book um, in different ways because I know that you're you know Chula did possess a part of you as well you know but c- can you talk to me about how the authenticity of what you're writing may or may not play a role in writer's block, right? And so I guess like for me, like when I write, I write poetry and when I know that somebody can read themselves in my work, I struggle with the humanity part of me and what I don't want them to feel, but then also like I'm telling my story. You know, like I, I have something to say and what I have to say is going to make you feel like shit because you were shitty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no, there's <laughs> nothing around that, you know? And um, these decisions to not tell what needs to be told or to how, to, when or how to omit. I mean, how does that play itself in your writing? as you become emboldened, right? So now it's like, there's it's there's more urgency yeah, yeah. to tell that real story, but then it, it requires an overcoming of the sense of responsibility there. Yeah. So I'm hearing two parts of your question, right? <clears throat> the first part is I'm actually a little bit the opposite. Like when I am not being authentic or when I want to write something that I don't feel, then I actually struggle with writing it. Um, What I mean is, you know, so right now I am writing fiction, right? Like the short stories are fiction, but they are informed by my life, you know? So I'm I'm kind of creating these different characters that embody some of what I've gone through or some of what some of the women in my family have gone through, some of what um, people that I know have gone through. And, you know, some of some creative stories that I just want to tell, right? Some completely fictional stories that I want to tell. When I surrender to what I'm feeling as I'm writing it, it becomes way easier for the pen to flow versus when I'm trying to remove my emotions from the story. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're talking about nonfiction and, you know, this is, I think, the other part of the question or what I interpreted as the other part of the question. When, I, when we're talking about nonfiction and maybe naming Hey, this person did this. Is mm-hmm. that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to that, I do feel like I protect people depending on who they are and depending on depending on like who's around them. You know, so for example, in Chula, there is an essay about a man in my family who was harassing me. And I did change the relationship from what it actually was to I think I put like a cousin's husband you know, because I was protecting the woman he is married to, you know? 
And also because honestly, I don't want to give you that much importance. Like you don't get to be a character in my story and say, oh, Amanda wrote about me. Like, no. Mm-hmm. And, and I also feel like we are three dimensional people. So sometimes a person might've hurt me, but I'm not, I don't feel like I have to name them directly in my book, either in terms of relation or in terms of their name. Because I feel like I, I still see like, I still see you as human and I don't want to throw this on you. Now, when it comes to men, I mean, it is what it is. I just changed the name and that's it. But you know, but we don't have a familial relationship, so it's fine. You know, like, how do you know it's about you? <laughs> and not some other dude. So it feels like... <laughs> When it comes to men, it is a little different. It is a little different. Right, right. I mean, it's it's less sensitive in that regard. It's it's something that happened here today, gone tomorrow. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to write in such a socially conscious world. So in two ways, right? Because I think like when I look at these, this kind of like J.K. Rowling, where like everybody <coughs> loves Harry Potter but she's become very vocal about her stance on uh, transgender, uh, you know, transgender rights, uh, which is inflaming the LGBT community. And there's a big, like, J.K. Rowling is canceled. I mean, to be honest, Harry Harry Potter has such a huge legacy that it kind of stands on its own, regardless of J.K. Rowling. But there is a a choice, right, That, that comes with, you know, building a name for yourself or having a name that's like, what do I do with my opinions uh, that might not be as palpable? And also, how how do I write pieces that are real, that, that maybe even embody that ugly part of society that in this day and age isn't how we roll? For instance, like, I look at, you know, the show Girlfriends was put back on, on Netflix, and it's a hilarious show. And I look at some of the little jokes and I'm like, this just wouldn't fly in the year 2020. And it's almost, you're almost not even allowed to give yourself permission to laugh at it in hindsight now. Because yeah, it's, yeah, what and, and what they're doing to like the, you know, America's Next Top Model, like nobody cared then and now people care. So what does it mean to write in such, in a socially conscious world? And, and to what extent do you have to like, comb through what you're writing to make sure that it's palpable and at what point is it like people either just take it or leave it like you take the Dave Chappelle kind of stance right yeah yeah Oof. I love this question because it is something that I have thought about um especially because some of my characters are not perfect and I don't want them to be I think as long as, for me, as long as I am real, then I am okay with it. Mm-hmm. That, that's how I feel. Like as long as I am authentic and I know I'm coming from a place of love, I think I'm good. And it's hard, and it's hard to say that because I feel like there are probably some people that are very hateful that think they're coming from a place of love. (laughs) Um, But there's something about writing 
in book form or in short story form that I think goes back to what I was saying earlier when it comes to social media and tweeting something versus when somebody's at home reading it. I think the experience of reading something at home, you're allowed to have more nuance. So a perfect example is I am writing a character who is light-skinned and has like green eyes. And because she is considered like so crazily beautiful in like her family, then she's targeted, right? In, in a society that upholds all of these things, you know? And I do think that that's a story that wouldn't fly like on TV today, you know, when we're looking at, at a black family and having like a very light-skinned character. Um, but I do feel like I want to tell that story because that's the story of my sister, you know, mm -hmm. somebody who was very much privileged because of how she looked, but who I also felt was targeted because of it by a lot of men, older men, by, um, it's almost like, like I don't have to get that deep into it because this is an example, but my point is I feel like in writing that story, I think I will be able to do it in a way where it's real without it meaning that it has to silence all of these other very real stories, you know? Whereas if I were to put it on Twitter or if I were to put it on TV, I do think it would be a little different. Am I making mm, sense? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of saying something about the writing modality that creates space for the unsavory stories because of the how you get to develop a storyline in a way that causes people to think. And I think like a reader is a different kind of absorber absorber of content than a watcher. And so a reader is processing and analyzing the themes as opposed to really just in a very linear way, like looking at the story, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And on the other side of that, I also am low-key anticipating people trying to cancel me at one point, especially if I get really big. Like, I just feel like everybody gets their moment these days where people just come at you for no reason sometimes. Like, sometimes it's really uh, futile reasons. So we need to give each other room to grow. Right, right. I mean, but for me, I would lean on the side of what you were kind of originally saying, which is, you know, my heart is pure. I'm well-intentioned and I can do the absolute wrong thing. And I will do because that's part of humanity. Part of humanity is I will absolutely fall on my face. No. I have fallen on my, fallen on my face. I have stories. I could tell, I could probably write a book of the, all the <laughs> wrong things that I did, all the roads that I've paved to hell with good intentions. Right. Um, but I, I can say that I forgive myself because I meant well. And even if I didn't mean well, I was doing the best that I knew how to do at that time. And I've evolved from that. And that's enough for me. And I just have to live my own definition at some point, right? At some point you have to live within your own definition of character, you know? So I might personally have an opinion about something that is a hot topic that people find offensive. And, and if I 
center that in in some way creatively. I, I kind of, you know, when you're talking about um, one day, you know, people are going to turn on me. I, I When I think about this podcast, I think, you know, what happens on the day that I'm having a conversation where I say something that's that doesn't sound right and it, it becomes the sound bite, you know, like that 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 sh- overshadows I could do a hundred episodes and that one soundbite is the the defining moment of my career. I mean, only if you say so. Not not I don't have to live by that rule. Just like you don't have to live by the picture with the Haitian flag on it and the nationalists can do what they want for the rest of their lives. You don't have to live by that, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, you're exactly right. And you know, and when it comes to to these moments where you're like getting called out or when you when you say something hurtful, perhaps hateful, I also think we can't judge ourselves by the worst thing we've ever been. Like we are so much more than just the dark side of ourselves. And to me, I think if we lean on that, then we can forgive ourselves first before moving forward. And I think if we believe that we are bad, then we are never going to grow because we're going to reject the feedback. We're going to reject the learning. Right, right. Um, so in my opinion, you have, di- you know, different faces. So we were, let's talk, you know, before we, we were talking, we went back to your radical Latina days and let's let's bring it back around to <laughs> your like mystical energy now, um, which I think is in certain ways, it most captured in your YouTube uh, channel. I forget what it's called. Can you remind me? ASMR and poetry? Yeah, but I mean, it's because you're like a, a mermaid in it. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> like, yes. But um, yeah, I mean, how... How fun is it? I mean, I look at that and I see how much fun you're having and even like the, the kind of pictures that you're posting on instagram and i think more than just the exploration of character it feels a lot like this celebration of the non-traditional beauty in certain ways which is hard to say because it's almost like saying you're not beautiful in a traditional way which is not like that's it almost feels like wrong to say that right but because there's such a captivating beauty to it but it's not obvious and so yeah talk to me about this new experience and and how how, what what doors it's opening up for you and your relationship with creativity as a whole may it be writing or not writing yeah for me it's definitely a celebration of myself and it's me giving myself permission to have fun Mm. and that's what it is i'm just having fun i'm having a lot of fun i'm like surrendering to the fun to the desire of what would happen if my hair was blue like why have I never dyed the tip of my hair blue if I'm gonna do the whole surfing thing let me dive really in you know so so it's about it's about having fun and also I've always loved Halloween like if you look at my Halloween costumes it kind of makes sense like I'm basically just doing Halloween on times when it's not Halloween um and also to me it's about connecting to my femininity Mm. in these other ways. So it's not just, let's say, about being super sexy. It can also be about, you know, the red lipstick and flowers in your hair 
And it can also be about being this wild woman in the woods. And it can also be about being in the water. Like it's, it's about connecting to, to my femininity in that way. And I do think it's beautiful that you said in non-traditional, it's non-traditional beauty because there's something about when I dress up in these ways that makes me feel very Afro-Taina. It makes me feel very connected to my identity. It makes me feel like I'm celebrating my features. And even the way that I put on the makeup, like I'm not trying to, what do you call it? I'm not trying to, that thing where you try to make your nose look thinner. Like I'm not trying to do that. If anything, like the opposite, like I'm going to make my nose look very red and, you know, I'm going to make my lips look red and I'm going to make my hair bigger. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Seeing how these photos look has been a lot of fun. And honestly, <laughs> this past year, I have explored with different, like, you know, ancestral medicines. And <laughs> to me, I feel like they have opened a connection to myself that has been beautiful and that allows me to view myself as more connected to the earth than I ever had before. Mm, I, I know all about that life. Um... <laughs> I want to close out by asking you a kind of personal question because I mean, and when we talk about this concept of like how the world can turn against us, you know, when we get big or if we get big and stuff, and it almost insinuates that we are not yet successful. Um, but you're a woman that like you have a check mark next to your Twitter, <laughs> so that makes you pretty. It makes you you know somewhere up oh, there God. in the ranks. You're, you're I mean you're 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 more certified than me, right? You got you got a check mark, um, and you have a book that's published, and you know it's not uncommon for like uh, in these lists of Latina like pe- featured Latina books written by Latinas or whatever for your book to end up on that list. Um, and yet you're, you know, you're in DR, like you quit your job, like you're doing a, a freelance thing, like you're, you know, you needed to make a choice that was like within a budget. I mean, are you successful as a writer specifically, right? So, I mean, we can always like have some philosophical discussion about success, right? But like, are you a successful writer? And how do you define whether or not you are and and can can that be fleeting right for instance like i think about somebody like eminem as a rapper um who like in his peak had a, a very particular kind of style and so he was huge and he was great and then he did so many albums after his peak like good years that really dilute <laughs> his overall history of albums that it's like <laughs> Sometimes maybe he should have finished strong. You know what I mean? So like, if you don't finish strong, does that take away from your success? You know, this kind of thing. So, I mean, are, are you successful? I am successful in that I am happy and that I am able to do what I love for living. That's a dream. And for a lot of people, that's a dream. And I feel like I, I realized it. I'm also a successful indie writer, like independent author. But 
you know, there's a song that came out recently by Bad Bunny called Booker T. Why am I saying that with a Spanish accent? But it's called Booker T. And he says, you know, estoy en mi peak. Like I'm at my peak. And I really wanted to post, you know, a cute little TikTok video singing that song. And then I was like, no, because I'm not at my peak. Like I'm only getting started, mm -hmm. you know? So to me, I am successful in that, you know, right now I'm happy, I'm good, I'm healthy. But I also do feel like I'm only getting started. And it's exciting. It's an exciting place to be. I love that. And I'm, I love that I get to observe your success as a third party and also celebrate it as your friend. And I am looking forward to all of the intricate new personas you take along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, and I'm also, I also love just watching you. Like earlier when you were saying, you know, that you feel like you see my life as an outsider before we have these like crazy experiences <laughs> that is like, oh, we're insider, insider right now. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same about you. And I'm so excited for this podcast. I'm so excited to see you really channeling your creativity into into something, into a project that you're excited about because you're a very creative person. You're a very fun person. And this feels like a place where you can pour all of that into and show it to the world. Thank you. Thank you. Like on a personal level, thank you. I appreciate the love. And I don't even want to call it well wishes, but like the blessing. It feels like you're blessing this, not only in your spirit, but in your presence. And uh, thank you for talking to us uh, very candidly and transparently about your experiences. And um, God bless with your upcoming projects. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there you have it. The evolving trajectory of a self-proclaimed emboldened writer. I walked away from this conversation especially connected to how important it is to celebrate how multifaceted I am. No part of my past predisposes what direction I must take because of the image I have set for myself. I feel all the more empowered to give myself permission to push the boundaries of self-expression. I'd like to thank Amanda for blessing me and my podcast with her insight. Be great, and remember, real talk leads to real understanding.